Welcome to Digging the Dharma, where we dig into the Buddhist Dharma and explore ways to bring these 2,500-year-old teachings into our lives. I'm Doug Smith of Doug's Dharma on YouTube and the online Dharma Institute. And I'm John Aaron, teacher at New York Insight Meditation Center and mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher and teacher trainer and founder of Space to Meditate. Well, hello again, John. Great to see you as always. <laughs> Good to see you too, Doug. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to our podcast. Yes. Interesting topic today. Topical topic. Topical topic, yeah. This notion of taking sides, and mm -hmm. which relates to all sorts of things. But yeah. One of which is, of course, holding to fixed views, <clears throat> yeah. which we'll get into, I suppose. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't even remember if we've done a podcast on on views. I think we did. I think we did. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but if we didn't, it doesn't, you know. I yeah, mean, of we, course. It's, it's something that, we'll it's, it's a perennial to, issue. Because yeah. uh, I think it's one of, really one of the deepest teachings in Buddhism is this idea. And one of the most, I think, distinctive teachings in Buddhism is this idea that that there's a problem with fixed views, with with clinging to views. I think we all understand that clinging to money or something like that, fame, can be detrimental and, and unskillful. But clinging to views yeah. or positions, also, same thing. So, the reason that it's come up, obviously, is the situation in the Mideast right now. And, and mm -hmm. I mean, the war itself is bad enough. And, you know, obviously the terrorism that Hamas did to the Israelis is horrible and evil in its way. Of course, it's evil. But then there's, you know, how the Israeli response has also been very problematic. And, and so as everybody, hopefully everybody has been aware of is that, you know, in Israel, of course, it's been really for people who are against the way the government is handling this. You know they're not actually allowed to speak. They, they've 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 been arrested and and they're muted. So they're sort of getting in the way of free speech, and it's even carried over into this country on college campuses. And this notion that you can't hold a pro-Palestinian and a pro-Israeli view at the same time is problematic because you can't. <laughs> when we create a situation where one view seems in a conflict with another view, you've actually gotten in the way of any sort of peace. And as I've thought about that, that also happens internally with ourselves. You know, that, you know, we, we try to get rid of something in our mind or get rid of something in our body. And the, and the harder we try, the more we create internal conflict, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, as as opposed to just kind of accepting in the moment what's here, you know, and holding it from a place of compassion, uh, and and letting it take the course that it's going to take. So whether we're fighting an agitated mind, you know, trying to make the mind peaceful by fighting the agitation, that doesn't work. <laughs> Which isn't to say that if there's an unskillful thought in the mind, you don't try to change it with a skillful thought. That's, that's a slightly different practice. But when we find ourselves having an internal battle with the way things are, you know, we're just creating a war within ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, this is, you know, the practice of equanimity. But we see how dangerous it is 
in the external, you know, in the in the world at large, when we when we hold to a view that you know you can't be this and that. Yeah, well, it's sort of a totalizing kind of way of thinking of the world, uh, you know, in terms of black and white, you know, in terms of it's a duality, dualistic in a, in a in yeah, a in a way. bad way. Yeah, um, yeah. And there's a there's a teaching that I often bring forth. It's a Zen teaching that some of you may know. It's a very long teaching, but the first stanza of it is quite powerful, um, which is the the teaching of the Shin Shin Ming, who was the, the the teaching is called Shin Shin Ming, which I think translates as faith mind. And it was written by the third Zen patriarch. There's a whole history of it, but the first stanza is which is one of my favorite <laughs> favorite teachings, actually, uh, although it's quite challenging, is that the great way is not difficult. That is the way to liberation is not difficult for those who have no preferences. When love and hate are both absent, everything becomes clear and undisguised. Make the smallest distinction, however, and heaven and earth are set infinitely apart. So that one line about when love and hate are both absent often will confuse people, mm -hmm. right? But of course, what you love and what I love may be, I mean, I'm not talking about people, but, you know, what you love and what I love may be very different. I might hate what you love and you might hate what I love, you know, and then internally, I might love part of myself, but hate another part of myself, you know, and if those two are not present, then something shifts. In other words, if I can love all of myself, so it's, it's, or if I can accept all of myself. And I, I often like to put it in a context of sort of small L love and big L love, right? And I think I was telling you earlier that I would, there was a poem that was floating around by a rabbi on Facebook where he said, I'm taking a side, I'm taking the side of peace, right? There can't be peace when, when there are two sides that can't agree with each other or, or when, when there's this notion that you can't have both. And there's good and there's evil, of course, right? And, and so, but even there, it's like, well, there's always good and evil. How do we, how do we know what's evil? In the long run, you know, it's like, okay, I don't know. Um, and so this dual, the dualities that we create that cause internal conflict and external conflict when they're not seen pose a great deal of, of I don't want to say it, it can be dangerous, obviously, when it comes to the external dualities, but even when it comes to an internal duality, and we and we feel the conflict within ourselves, then there's something to be really, in, you know, an inquiry needs to happen, and an investigation needs to happen. It's like, okay, so am I taking the side of the agitated mind or the unagitated mind? You know, what I find so interesting when it comes to the teaching on mindfulness of mind is that it it doesn't say one is better than the other in that teaching. It simply says, know the mind that is agitated, mm -hmm. know the mind that's not agitated. Right. Know the mind that's filled with desire, know the mind that's not filled with desire. You know, and so as we know those minds, that which is knowing the mind, the awareness that's knowing the mind is, is not itself 
agitated or calm. It just is. At least that's the way I practice it and, and the way I've, um, I experience it. And I know that when I try to like keep my mind from being agitated, it just makes it more agitated. Or when I try to make my mind calm, it just makes it more agitated. And it's really interesting when people start to see that and experience it, you know, because they'll often come into a class and, and oh, my mind is just so agitated, I can't meditate, you know, and it's like, well, who says you're not meditating first off, just because your mind is agitated. And if you're trying to make your mind not agitated, that's not going to help. If you're trying to make your body still, that's not going to help, right? Allow the stillness, which is already there, to just come through by by being with whatever is. Um, well, it takes time. I mean, a course. lot of this oh, is, yeah, is, for sure. is a matter of, of practice. I mean, it's sort of like hitting a baseball or something. Yeah, I mean, if, if somebody just says, well, just try to hit the baseball, well, that does, that's not a very <laughs> helpful... I mean, it's true, but it's not very helpful. You know, it just takes it takes a lot of a lot of swings and misses. <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 um, uh, absolutely. You know, follow the breath, and then when you notice that your mind is gone, bring it back to the breath, and over a thousand times or a million times, it does make some difference. You know, you do notice less agitation. You notice less being pulled in the way of agitation. It right. gets a little so easier. So you're talking about technique, which is yeah. absolutely important. And when we start to explore the nature of mind, right, then it's it's the technique is there, of course. Come back to the breath, be with the breath, have gratitude for the breath. All of that's there, right? And the the, the mind can be agitated and we can still be with the breath. <laughs> Right? So it's like breathing in, breathing out. Notice the mind is agitated. Breathing in, breathing out. Notice the mind isn't agitated. And breathing in, breathing out. And it's sort of like, but if it's breathing in, the mind is agitated. I don't like the mind being agitated. You know? Well, I mean, I think what we know, at least in my experience, you, you notice uh, when the mind is agitated, you notice the, the dukkha there. You notice the suffering. You notice that that there's something that's, not pleasant about the agitated mind. Okay, well, that's one way of experiencing it. Or it could just be that the not wanting it is creating the suffering. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a place of investigation. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. so the mind is agitated. Okay. But usually, I mean, in, in my experience, the mind yeah. is agitated because it's trying to find something. You know, it's trying to do something or get somewhere or, you know, and it's it's doing that because of this kind of grasping for this or that or the other thing, you know, looking for, looking for entertainment, looking for this. Looking yeah, for yeah, that. absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, uh, and then the question is, okay, so a, who's looking and, and B is like, yeah, okay. So the mind is looking and it doesn't find it, but it's looking for something. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could, you know, we can get into a circular conversation here, but it's like, it's yeah. Okay. The mind is looking for something. And it's not finding it. So this is what the mind is doing in this moment. And what else is here, right? So it's like the, the notion of keeping that from happening, 
is what gets us into trouble. Or the it preference can, yes, for it not can. to be there. Is, mm-hmm. is, you know, mm-hmm. So I love this line, you know, one who has no preferences. Mm-hmm. Prefer to have no preferences, right? <laughs> right. You know. Yes, that's true too. You know, it's like, so where we get caught. So I think it's yeah. just fascinating how we can get ourselves so wrapped up in wanting things to be a particular way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, wanting the good guys to win. Whoever that, whatever that means in this, any particular conflict. I mean, we could bring it down to, you know, sports as well. It's like, oh, oh, we really suffer when our team doesn't win, you know. It's just, you know, and yet somebody's got to lose. <laughs> I mean, with a war, it's a little different, obviously, of course. But the, the holding to the view that this is, this is the boundary and this is not the boundary or this is, this is my land and this is not your land. All of that holding to views, you know, is creating a duality and a preference that is creating a huge amount of suffering. Sure. I mean, it's you know, a lot about ownership and yeah. and winning and losing. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, which admittedly in a, in a, a football game or a baseball game or whatever, it's part of the rules, it's part of the game is that somebody wins and somebody loses. Is a war necessarily one that ever that one has to win and one has to lose? I mean, s- sometimes they're just they sort of peter out, um, yeah, or they or just continue, or they just never end. You know, yeah, and 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 they're never ending because people are holding to a fixed view of what you know. This is what it has to be. Yeah, and of course, the Middle East conflict has been going on for millennia, mm-hmm. in a way, and or more. And you know, on the other hand, if we look at the conflict in Ukraine, that's a very different situation. Why? <laughs> right? You know, because it was unprovoked, partly. I mean, yeah, but it depends who you talk to. They'll of always course. talk about provocation. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you know, each side has their their narrative of, there's, you know, in the, in the Dhammapada, the Buddha talks about, you know, he, what is it? He injured me, he hit me, he right, robbed me. Right, right, You know, and if you cling to those kinds of, of viewpoints, you're never going to escape Conflict. hatred and suffering. Yeah. Uh, you know, because everybody has their their narrative of what the other person or the other country, I mean, you know, a country, of course, is a, is a completely abstract thing, you know, but in any event, we we think in terms of our views include these things called countries, you know, as though they were real things. Uh, <laughs> certainly they are legally, but, you know, right. it's just this fiction that we come up with. Fabrication, uh, yeah. Fabrication that this country has done something in the past. These people, quote unquote, as though people were a thing, have done something in the past. And so, therefore, we should do something else to them in order to show them who's right, you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah. of course, in the Russian side, they'll say, oh, well, Ukraine did all this stuff with NATO, and so, therefore, we have, you know, a right to defend it. You know, I mean, there's always going to be some story from each side. You know, of course, a historian can talk about which one is you know, perhaps more well-justified or not well-justified, well but, I mean, once you get into the, st- I mean, as we know in meditation, once you get into the stories, you're, you're lost. Yeah. You're dead yeah. because, yeah. you know, th- then you're just never going to end. I mean, yeah. there's there's no way out once you get into the story because everyone has their own story and the, the stories don't always match up. Right. So, if we take the, if we, if we, if we take the side of peace, so to speak, yeah, you know, is peace really a side? Right. Well, this is, yeah, exactly. Right. So, so peace isn't really, as, I mean, peace is peace. If we, just coming back to our own personal experience, right, believe it or not, 
our innate nature is a peaceful mind. And well, we could debate that. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in the sense that you know, we don't until we start, until we until we kind of develop our own independent way of thinking. Or let's just say, when a baby is born, I think its mind is probably pretty peaceful, even though it may not sound that way at times. The mind has a, a nature to be still until we put something in it to make it unstill. And then we have something that we add to that. And, and we, and we, you know, we, as we, as we grow, of course, we add more and more obstacles to that peaceful mind. And in a sense, that's what meditation is, is bringing us back to, which isn't denying the value of those things that we put in our mind or that have been put in our mind, I should say. Right. Um, it's not denying that. It's simply broadening our view of what that is. And of course, you know, as we put these things in, in our own mind, then we create it, we, we become a certain thing, a certain person, right? And then we, we, we take a stand that this is who I am. This is the view of who I am. And that becomes a fixed view. I am this. I am this job. I am this spouse. I am this whatever, right? That becomes a fixed view. And as soon as something is in conflict with that or something changes, of course, then we've created, we've obstructed that fixed view, creating more suffering. Right. Whereas I think when, as we practice meditation and sort of see through that without denying those things, but, but seeing, you know, putting it in a context, which is much bigger in a sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So then the, we can see the piece that's possible when we don't hold so strongly to that view of who I am. Right. I mean, I think there's two parts of that. One is the sort of cognitive part where there are different ways we can construct who we are or what we're after, what we're about. And some of them are clearly going to be more skillful than others. And if we can try to orient our, ourselves, our, who we think we are, towards peace, towards somebody who is in favor of peace, that's going to be a more skillful way to sort of think of cognitively who we are than, it, than one who thinks that they're sort of about war and about conflict. And then right. the, other, the other aspect of that is, I think, not a cognitive, but a, more of a, an emotional sense that if we are emotionally attached to certain kinds of ways of being, it's going to make it more difficult for us to actually practice peace because if we're emotion to the extent that we're sort of emotionally involved in whatever it is, even even the idea of peace, um, if we're really emotionally involved in this idea of peace and we're confronted with the people we must be confronted with, who are people who don't agree with us, mm -hmm. we're going to get angry with them. <laughs> we're going to say, you're a warmonger, you know, or yeah. you're, you know, whatever. And that's not going to help anything. Right. That that just, you know, we'll say that we know, cognitively, we're peace people, but in, in practice, we're just perpetuating the same issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by getting angry and hated, you know, hating, yeah. hating all kinds of people that, so. So, the attachment. The attachment the is, eye, is an the, emotional attachment, yeah. and, oh, and that's the most yeah. difficult practice, I think. Yeah, yeah, is learning that the emotional the, the emotional practice is one to release attachment to all views, 
um, including the view about peace, which we may think cognitively is the better one, but if we're going to actually practice peace, we've got to be willing to, you we know, step back. have to be back. peace. Yeah, you have to be peace. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that's that's the that's the other, I mean, paradox, if that's the right word, you know, with yeah, what's going right. on college campuses mm-hmm. right now. It's like, you know, this these violent, angry protests. You know, at least I know the Buddhist protests are actually not violent and angry. They're just people sitting, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> supporting peace. Um, but, and I understand, you know, obviously the anger is justified on both sides. And it's getting us nowhere. <laughs> yeah. No, there was a really good um, essay by Josh Marshall, who's a guy who does uh, really nice stuff online about news, um, who talks about how, you know, the people, the, you know, the college campuses, it's like, you know, look, people on college campuses are probably 18 years old. I mean, <laughs> you can't take what they do too seriously. I mean, you know, I mean, everyone when they're, you know, 18 or 17 or 19 or 20. Careful, we might have some 18-year-olds listening. To well, I mean, look, I mean, I was there too, and, yeah. you know, you, 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 you know, it's a time of experimentation and a time of, of finding out who you are, and of course, you're going to be Swept emotionally up. grasping at all kinds of ideas that are not particularly wise, but that you just have to try out, you know, because that's what it is to be 18. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a certain pitfall or trap that we get into when we when we look and, and it's not usually us it's more i mean there's a lot of a lot of this happens on media sites who want to inflame the public and say oh look at these people on college yeah. campuses and yeah. it's like well but they're 18 years old or seven whatever i mean they're not you know they're just doing what people do at that age and you know don't take it too seriously what you take it seriously when it happens at you're you know 45 or 60 or whatever but not when you're 18 yeah i mean okay i think that's a kind of sidebar but it's yeah. it's um yeah. you know i think the point is that so the you know rage is important anger is important for highlighting something and then it's like okay Am I angry because I'm holding to a very fixed view and I'm taking a side without looking at the other side? You know, that's the problem. Yeah. Um, if you're going to take sides, you can't take a side unless you're looking at all sides. Uh, well, you can, but I mean, if you do, then you're just perpetuating the, the conflict. Sure. Um, and it's horrible. You know, it's like this notion that, oh, I won't negotiate with terrorists. You negotiate with the person you have to negotiate with. Or the people you have to negotiate with, regardless. And I, who was it that died recently? Richard, uh, what was his name? Richardson, like Bill Richardson, who was a former governor of Arizona, one-time mm. presidential candidate, and he was like one of these people that was brought in to negotiate the release of hostages, with, like in North Korea and other situations where the people that he was dealing with were, if they weren't terrorists, they were at least unfriendly people, like. Uh, or or thought of as unfriendly people. And he would go in and, you know, people that, in other words, the government wouldn't negotiate with because we have this policy, you know, of not to negotiate with countries that we consider to be terrorists or, you know, so anti-democratic, we can't possibly talk to them. And, you know, he, he, he was able to go in and basically talk to terrorists and get them to, to move. Mm-hmm. Well, then there's the whole I, there's there's the whole uh, question of what is a terrorist and and you know how that that term 
is, has been sort of co-opted to mean pretty much anything we just don't agree with. Yeah, well, the, but I, I mean, obviously the, the tough the Hamas attacks on Israel were terrifying attacks and horrible. And, yeah, you know, there was no, I mean, they were inhuman, which isn't doesn't mean it's justifiable then to go and bomb. You know, yeah, but those those were definitely there was no there was no recognition of the humanness of the people that were being slaughtered. Yeah. So yes, you know. There's that, and how are you going to change things unless you're willing to talk? And, you know, we've seen it over and over and over again. You know, this holding to a view and not, and taking a side that is immovable gets us nowhere. And it gets us nowhere on a societal level, and it certainly can get us nowhere on our own personal level yeah. of uh, finding stability and, and really equanimity you know, with our, whatever our particular situations are. So, yeah. A deep topic. Yeah, it is. And we'll, we'll come back to the, the views because I think that, I mean, fixed views and not holding to fixed views. And that's a really important, as you said, really important. And, and I, I think you said it's kind of unique to Buddhism. Is that really true? I don't know that it's, well, it's, I think it's one of the distinctive teachings of Buddhism. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, I'm sure there's some other views. I mean, some other systems that have similar kinds of mm. I think Jainism has a similar kind of idea uh, but I'm not really sure exactly how similar um, and of course there are Western some Western uh, sure. views, but yeah. but I mean Buddhism is, is quite distinctive in how it how it's realized um, it's not nihilism obviously and it's not the idea that nothing is true or that you know right. there's no distinction between good and evil I mean that's not that's not the that's not the point yeah yeah. Um, so you have to be careful on how you understand it and how you hold it. But I think just Buddhism has a distinctive teaching there that at least as I understand it. Well, friends, we've come to the end of our podcast <laughs> on that note. <laughs> and, uh, we do have a view about coffee. We both like it. Yeah. I mean, it, and it's a pretty fixed view, I have to admit. <laughs> 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 and, you know, it creates problems because... Uh, when the coffee isn't good, you know, it's... Ah, uh, uh, of course, yeah. How do I, or when I don't have milk. And you, yeah, right, and you have to use something, some substitute. Yeah, uh, yeah. so, you know, that, that, this is my, my challenge. Yeah, got to work through it. Yeah. <laughs> we dig our coffee at Digging the Dharma, so uh, <laughs> if you want to support the show, and, you know, you support it simply by listening, but it's great if we can have your support in other ways too. And so feel free to go to digginthedharma.com and buy us a coffee or two or three or four or five. Or and, uh, become a member, which is even member. better. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually we have to get some members on the show soon and, or at least their questions. So yeah. Thank you for being with us and uh, we'll see you next time. We will. All right. Or you'll hear us anyway yeah. next time. Okay. Even if we don't see you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on your podcast directory. And please check us out at digginthedharma.com where you can leave a comment, buy us a coffee, and even become a member. You can find out more about me, John Aaron, at johnaaron.net and Doug at dougsdharma.com. <laughs>